What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode 43 of Don't Give Up the Ship podcast. This one is cool. Uh, I got to do like a cross deck thing with the Coast Guard where I, I was uh, put in contact with uh, the folks from the They Had to Go Out podcast. It's a Coast Guard podcast, not not official Coast Guard, but it's a couple of gentlemen that do uh, a podcast about uh, basically uh, sea stories. It's pretty cool. Uh, they talk to veterans of the Coast Guard that have done some pretty daring rescues and other things uh, in the conduct of their duty. They share a lot of really cool stories. And I was put in contact with them by a friend uh, and was able to kind of start with them with uh, the perspective from NCOs of other services on leadership and how that works in other organizations and then just talk about a whole range of, of topics. But a lot of it was getting insight on how the Coast Guard does things. We had talked about talk about some chief stuff uh, and then we got to talk about some just Coast Guard leadership development and education stuff and a couple other things in between. So I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Like I know you said you've listened to some of them, but I generally like to start with backgrounds, context, career info in your case not terribly concerned about your identity some some of the junior sailors i bring on are a little worried about uh putting themselves out there for fear of the command viewing it negatively but but yeah man just like your background uh in the coast guard how you ended up uh where you are now and and how you ended up starting the the project that that you guys uh take part in sounds like a plan man i'm in Hey, so uh, my name is Philip Knoll, and I'm a chief bosun mate in the United States Coast Guard. Joined back in 2001, actually joined on September 11th, and uh, was already at MEPS when the first uh, first plane hit, and uh, had no idea what was going on. Never realized it was a terrorist attack until after I graduated boot camp. You know, somewhere near the end, I think they clued us in, but um, right. to us, it was it was big news when I finally graduated in like November. Um, my so my career in the Coast Guard's a little unique. Maybe I've got uh, all boat tours, no uh, no big ship or, or cutter assignments. So I've done uh, stations in San Francisco, California, and in Marblehead, Ohio, of all places. I've uh, been to hmm, an ace navigation. Uh, there's a station that so it's a northern border, right? Coast Guard. Oh, okay. Yep. Well, so we've sense. got a yeah. uh, we got a whole slew of multi mission stations and a few cutters and icebreakers all along the. Uh, the Great Lakes. Okay. So start off in San Fran, uh, heavy weather coxswain of 47 foot lifeboats and 25 foot response boats, a couple of utility boat lights, we call them that are like, like your ribs. Uh, went from there to the maritime safety and security team out in Miami, uh, which is the services. It was kind of a deployable specialized force, they call it. And uh, basically went around doing uh, ports, waterways and coastal security, security zones for the president, for uh, nuclear submarines, it, it pretty oh, yeah. much any any major event that that happened, one of the teams was there. And then uh, went to the worst job I ever had, which was an, an aids to navigation unit. I was just not built for it. Okay. Um, that's a lot of uh, kind of putting up plywood and, and changing light bulbs, but a, a vital mission, just yeah. one that you're never waiting on an alarm. I think they, they yeah. say there is no emergency a time uh, in our field, <laughs> but uh Went from there to uh, to Ohio and then down to San Juan to pre-commission a cutter and uh, from there to a training center up in Yorktown, Virginia. And that's, and that's where, where I'm at now. now. Yep. Yeah. How did I, I was curious about this because you guys seem to be and, and correct me, I'm going to butcher this because I don't fully understand it. But you guys have an affiliation with, I think, the Coast Guard Museum. Is that right? We do, the yeah. Podcast? So, uh, okay. Oh, yeah. How so, did so, how did the they had to go out thing happen? 
Sure. So, so this is a side project, right? Completely unrelated yeah. to, to anything else. And it's, uh, it's really in support of the National Coast Guard Museum, which is the first uh, service museum for the Coast Guard, right? One that's like congressionally funded and, and also through uh, private donors. Um, after the government shutdown, uh, the most recent one, uh, we had a lot of guys that just weren't getting paid and were, were pretty upset with the service and pretty upset with, uh, you know, the kind of the way they were being treated. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was hard to motivate people because everybody, you know, when you miss the second paycheck, I think a lot of people just took off to, to they had to put food on the table. So they were looking for other side jobs to kind of get into. Right. Um, and just some of the the passion that was there for the service before was gone. So what's the best way to, to re-energize that, right? Let's get back to the roots. Like, let's get back to when guys get underway and they save lives and they bring evildoers to justice. And yeah. uh, I knew a whole bunch of guys that had, you know, that have spent three decades doing that. So I started making some phone calls, got them to tell their story. Uh, National Coast Guard Museum heard it. And we're like, hey, we'd, we'd love to partner and, and get, nice. uh, get these stories out there. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it worked out. I, I'm I'm inspired, man. Every time I listen to one of these yeah, these veterans, for, yeah, yeah, for real. That's something that I, I'm I love history and heritage stuff, and I'm getting into more. Like I used to do like a history segment on that regular episodes, but now that I do these interviews, they're super long form. So it's like there's not I'm not going to tack another thirty minutes onto a two and a half hour podcast. So it's like uh, I'm getting into like creating outlines for just history and heritage topics. But it would be really cool to I, I'm. I'm kind of in the back of my mind looking down the the road at like trying to find people like that to have those conversations with because that'd be incredible. Yeah. And you, um, you know what's crazy is they're all out there. Right. And they yeah, all like no, everyone totally. that served has a story, I think. And, yeah. and a lot of them are, I've been surprised, man. We asked what's your most dangerous, daring or epic sea story. And yeah. people will come back with like some things that didn't even happen at sea. But I like yeah. you can't stop listening. It's that good. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. So uh, like like we talked about earlier, um, yeah, I, I'm super curious. One of the reasons why I reached out to you guys specifically was because I thought your project was awesome. But also I was looking for NCOs from every other service to have a conversation about like how like leadership dynamics within certain units differ from what we do, how the leadership development and education stuff happens for you guys. Like basically big picture, how you guys do leadership differently from how we do it. And with the understanding that it'll be a conversation because you probably don't have all of the perspective on how we do it and vice versa. But I'm interested to start like how, how, how do you guys develop as leaders? Like what, what do you have built into your professional development to train and educate you to be a leader as you progress through the ranks sure so i'm trying to decide how to answer this question whether like reality <laughs> or what's on paper right um, well both man no i know i, I know i I'm definitely just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's and, and you know i could we talk a lot of smack on the navy of course but uh mm -hmm. you know from i i have no idea how you guys do it i can tell you that that for the coast guard right I, i'll i'll use myself as an example um mm -hmm. You join the Coast Guard, you get assigned as an E3 to an operational unit pretty much without fail, right? A couple guys mm -hmm. get a guaranteed A school, but by and large, we go straight to an operational unit. Immediately, you're serving on boat crews and on boarding teams. So, like, you're armed, you're making decisions, you're talking to the public. There's not – you definitely learn on the fly, right? We have these right. – uh, we have a few formal courses in, but most of them aren't required to go to. Um, when they become a requirements, when they need people to train at the unit level, 
that's when they're going to, to actual formal resident courses um, that, you know, give them all the training materials and show them how to present it. Um, once you become an E4, when you go to A school, uh, they just implemented the apprentice leadership program, which is a little bit of a baseline level, more about leading yourself than leading others. Right. Um, right. Kind of, Hey, this is what the coast guard does. This is how you fit into it. This is the strategic goal. This is how you, how you're going to get us there. Right. And then a little bit about financial management and preventing, you know, preventing problems in your personal life. Um, when you hit E5, you go to leadership and management school, which, uh, is another, it's a resident course. I can't remember how many days long, but kind of that middle manager team, team leader type thing, right? Right. Teaching you how to manage small teams, your department, our E5s are all, if they're not a department head, they're well on their way to becoming one. Um, the next formal training would be the chief petty officer Academy. And then as you get into the senior, even more senior enlisted ranks, E8, E9 level, uh, they have a senior enlisted leader academy and uh, also, you know, training just for the uh, command master chiefs. Right. And then you guys can like I, when I attended the Navy senior enlisted academy, it was with I don't remember if there are any guardsmen there. I know we had Air Force, Marines, soldiers like everybody there. Uh, I, there might have been Coast Guardsmen there. I can't remember. But are, are you guys able to attend other services, senior enlisted academies, or do you have to go through? Nope. I know for a fact that uh, that we definitely pair up with the Air Force. A lot of Air Force come through okay. the, the Coast Guard uh, CPOA. And then um, I think we just got a senior enlisted spot at, uh, I think, like the Joint Special Operations something or other, you know, where mm-hmm. uh, all, all their senior enlisted are going. I can't remember the exact name. Seemed like a cool opportunity, E8 and above. Nice. So, so real life, like how, how is it viewed in the operational Coast Guard? Like, does it, and keeping in mind that like an E4 going to leadership school is probably going to be focused on everything but leadership school. So it's like, <laughs> I, how does it, how is it viewed? And it, do you, do you think that it's productive or, you know what I mean? Like, is, is so, it, are you guys getting story. a lot out of it? I can't even comment on it necessarily because I've never been to formal leadership training. So I'm an E E seven with 20 years in, and I've never been to a single formal formal leadership course. How does that Um, happen? If you guys have that CPO leadership Academy, is it it like after you put on chief, it just became mandatory. Uh, Everything became mandatory and it's all new accessions, right? So nothing, nothing that came before. So we're all considered uh, legacy chiefs now. And I say we're all, a lot of guys went right. But the day that I made it, their roundabout was the day that it became mandatory for all new chiefs. Okay. Yeah. But with the very next convening, right? So yeah, yeah. I was too late. Um, I, I can still put in to go, go to it just hasn't worked out yet. Right. As far as, as far as you know, from like interacting with other chiefs that have gone, like, is it, is there a lot of goodness to be had there or is it kind of lacking? I, I think it's, there's, there are very different ratings in the coast guard, right? You have some that uh-huh. are, that are very leadership oriented. Uh, right. Others that are more that, that are not right. And I think right. a lot of it boils down to how many opportunities do you get to lead? How many times are you right. forced to lead? Right. And I think in the Coast Guard, by and large, we're forced to lead quite a bit. Um, right. We don't have near as many commissioned officers uh, to enlisted ratio, I think, as the as the other services. Mm-hmm. So most of our field units are ran by enlisted uh, chiefs, senior chiefs, maybe a warrant officer. 
Yeah, and I, I've heard that on some of your podcasts. I, I feel like it was like people were in charge of a station or something, and it was like a senior chief. And I was like, really? Like, <laughs> there's yeah, no it, officer it, there? We even have uh, we have units with E5s that are in charge uh, as the officer wow. in charge. Yeah. Uh, smaller rates and navigation units, probably, you know, six to eight people. Uh, yeah. But for a station, I mean, you could have a... You could have a station with 36 people and, and six boats uh, that are that's ran by a, a senior chief or master chief. Wow, that's cool. I dig it. Uh, so for those far, for those billets, too, let's talk about, the, you know, the leadership, the formal leadership training for them. Uh, mm-hmm. Prospective commanding officer, prospective ex, uh, executive petty officer. They all have to go to those schools, whether ashore or afloat. OK, so there's mandatory courses like in transit to that type of a job. Right. Mandatory uh, two week. You must attend. No option. Yeah. You shall go. Yeah. I, so I wish there was more of that because so like on the Navy side of the house until recently, and I'll talk about that a little bit. It's like I joined in t- like basically same exact time frame as you like this. I was already looking into it. September 11th happened and I dropped out of college. It was in boot camp by January. So it was like started in, in and about 2002 uh very beginning and just all the way up there was there was a function called nav lead it was a brick and mortar leadership courses i mean they're were, they're were more management and like um functional stuff that happened on board a ship or in a shop and uh, i got to go to one class for a work center supervisor thing i thought it was pretty pretty good and then they got rid of it because of funding and so junior e5 got to go to that class and that like up to my up to the point like went through my whole first operational tour on a submarine nothing and then uh got to that class went to that class got something out of it but then after that nothing until i was a a pretty senior chief at the senior listed academy and i got to go as an e7 which was not normal it was like they were trying to make it mandatory for senior chiefs and master chiefs they weren't getting the classes filled up so you could like sign up as a standby and then if it didn't fill up you'd get to go so uh i got lucky and picked up one of those standby spots but so that giant gulf in between those two there was effectively nothing except when you catch a solid mentor you got mentorship right and like you said you're forced into a lot of situations in submarining where you're learning on the job but it's like in my opinion it's like if you're not fortunate enough to catch a really solid mentor you're like grasping for straws you know what i mean like you're just yeah, for sure. defaulting back to the whatever lowest form of training you got from whoever you got it from and hopefully they didn't suck and it was just like <laughs> it was frustrating for a lot for me especially because like i had all these grand visions of coming up through the the ranks of like when i'm chief i'm gonna do all these things differently and i'm gonna be so much better and then you step through the looking glass and i find myself on the other side of it have no idea what to do with my hands and i default back to what i saw coming up which was what i kept swearing i would never do and then through lumps realized that that wasn't the best way to do it and started to figure it out but and i caught some good mentors but yeah, it was like there until recently they started this, uh, they call it enlisted leadership development. Um, they built like a, a new command to fill the void of the one that's been gone for 15 years. <laughs> and uh, they're putting up, they basically used to do it where it was command delivered training. They had this thing called Petty Officer Indoc, and then they had it for each level, uh, like four, five, and six. And uh, it was command delivered. So they put it on these operational commands that were are already overwhelmed with everything that's infinitely more important to get the ship underway and go do the mission. And it's like their last thing they care about when results come out, especially when they're in the middle of this big operational cycle is getting this, this administrative requirement done. 
So it right, and that's largely, exactly what it is, right? It becomes an, right. just an administrative requirement. Yeah, right, because they made it a requirement for fracking, and it was just like it was largely unenforced. Like, and I I could probably say with I don't think Big Navy was enforcing it either. So I think like you just frock sailors to the next pay grade without ever completing it. But if it was getting put into the system that tracks it called fleet temps, it's like it wasn't really happening. Or if it did happen, it was like this super quick check in the box. So, yeah, it was it's something that like it it forced the function of me starting this podcast almost five years ago. It was just like there was this huge void where these junior sailors like I I was an A school instructor and I kept having these students reach back to me and they're like, chief, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with that? Uh, And it was very similarly themed. And I'm getting just like dozens of these and I'm answering the same question over and over again. And I was like, how do how are all these sailors who are at all at different commands, different geographical areas asking me the same freaking questions? And so it got to the point where I was like, I need to create a resource because if only the people in my rating are asking me these questions, but I'm getting dozens of these messages, multiply that by 300 plus thousand. And I, you know, there's gotta be a ton of people that have the same issues. And I started to just dig into it and realize that the problem exists where there is no leadership development education. Like we're just not getting it like ever and got really frustrated by that. And that's why I'm doing this now. So <laughs> yeah, um, no, and I, I like commend you for it, man. I think it's, it's vitally important. And and like you said that, you know, one of the problems with making it command directed, I think is you, you're drawn from a very limited pool of leadership experience, right? When you, when right. you put it out to kind of a, a formal, more resident course with like, you know, trained instructors that are assigned there, they get to hear all the issues from every single class that comes through. And I, I yeah. legit think there, there's a lot of benefit to, uh, to making people get out of their, their shell, right. And, and go to these kind of training events to, to hear what everybody else is doing. Right. And I, I think the command delivered thing also, it's like you're putting this burden on these impossibly busy people at an operational command. And it's like, if it's a brick and mortar classroom somewhere, the, the sailor, the, that we're trying to train or the, whoever the service member you put them in an environment where they're removed from the super busy shop or or station or whatever where they are they have so much to do and oh my god and they're distracted and they're not going to pay attention to it anyway because they're thinking about the laundry list of things they have to get done before after or like when they the training concludes and how behind they're getting if you remove them from that unit and they're temporarily assigned to that classroom they they're remove all those distractions are removed and then the impossibly busy supervisor that's supposed to administer this like robust leadership development is the person in charge of it is also not burdened with all those commitments. And so it's like you get it's all you're focused on. I'm like, I in my mind, that's like the only way to do it, because like I, I've seen and I, I'm I would imagine it's probably similar in some regard in the Coast Guard where it's like a sailor will get assigned to like a technical school and it'll be local. Right. And they'll uh they'll go to the school during normal working hours. And then sometimes they'll get pulled back to the unit to do work. (laughs) And it's like, they've just been in a classroom for eight hours and you want them to come back and do what? And then they got to go back to class the next day and focus on that. So it's like, it pulls them away from focusing on it, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, it doesn't work when you do it that way. And it drives me absolutely nuts. I, I have a question too about like, so you guys, I did some Googling and feel free to tell me this is all, no, oh, here we go. Bold. I can't wait to hear this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. I'm going to ask some dumb questions. So Coast Guard Leadership Development Center. There's detachments in Yorktown and Petaluma, California. I don't know if I said that right. Yeah, those are those are kind of the two big 
shoreside training centers, right? Outside the aviation community. And are those just the ones that administer those classes that you were talking about? They are. Or so do the, they do? the leadership, okay. the leadership development center, uh, all the leadership training is out of there, right? Including the uh, chief petty officer Academy. And uh, those are the guys that write and manage the curriculum for apprentice leadership program and the uh, leadership and management school for E5s. Okay. And then it's it on their website and I don't know how accurate this is, but it's, it basically sounded like they had what we would call mobile training teams that'll come out to units and do training. And then it sounded like there was also other mechanisms for like for, for training or education to be delivered electronically at the unit. So is there, what kind of like stuff do they do to, to deliver that training? Is it just like email the unit PowerPoints and then chief can, or whoever's in charge can go through them or no, so anything? I, so I know one guy that actually just got assigned out in, uh, out in Petaluma is in a, uh, lambs instructor. He's exportable, right? So like right. if Kodiak, Alaska has a, group of e5s that desire to make e6 but they need lambs to uh to mm-hmm. meet the competency requirement he'll he'll fly up there and and give training to them so basically That's it's awesome. kind of it's at the unit request um they're not doing it for like an individual station with 20 people they're doing it for uh, we call them sectors which would be several stations cutters ace navigation teams uh but they'll go up and the, they'll deliver That's awesome do they have uh, like I kind of get on my soapbox a little bit about reaching sailors where they are. Right. And where they are is face buried in a, in a cell phone. Right. So it's like (laughs) always another, another reason why I got into the podcast thing was like, this is how I'm going to reach these, these, cause that's why I was like asking myself, like, what do I do? YouTube, like stuff on Instagram. Like, how do I, how do I reach these kids? Cause it's going to be through that thing glued to their hands. So, um, is, do they leverage anything like that? Like, is there YouTube videos or podcasts outside of what you guys do? So, you know, what I've seen is the, the commandant's got his professional, they call it a professional development list versus a reading list now. Um, right, right. He's got links to podcasts, videos, YouTube, books, oh, you cool. know, all manner of things. But for the leadership development center specifically, uh, I would say kind of the same thing, right? They- uh, so, yeah, man, I don't even remember where we left off the f- <laughs> before it uh, fell apart unannounced, but... <laughs> Um, so I think we were on mobile training team stuff still, and you were talking about how that worked. And, uh, I think that reaching them where they are is a big deal. And that's why we started doing this. And someday I'll expand it to YouTube and everything else. I'm, I'm at the limits of my bandwidth as one person, and I'm trying to expand the platform to, to have other people involved. So that's like, you know, it's not just me doing it, but. But yeah, man, I, I think that well, here, uh, here'd be my question to you, man. This is this is I guess maybe this is where we kind of differ. Right. So having never been to formal leadership training. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely see a value in it for sure. And I think from my career path, I see like uh, a very heavy operations oriented focus. Right. Um, and I've learned coming through the ranks, especially as you get to that senior enlisted level that it becomes a lot more about people, right? Taking mm. care of people because right. if you don't take care of them, who's going to? Yeah. Um, so I've kind of like, and maybe that just comes with age and, and haven't seen all kinds of things, but um, from a Coast Guard standpoint, right? Uh, we call it disciplined initiative. So pretty much everybody everywhere is empowered to, if there's a chance or an uh, opportunity to make a difference, you go out and you make the difference. Um, right. You you might call up and report it. I don't think too many people ask permission. Uh, usually yeah. it's about asking for forgiveness. Right. But 
most of our leadership training seems more geared for the individual, right? Like, can you take care of yourself in your personal life? And then as you get to the E5 level, can you take care of the small team that you're, you're dealing with? As you get to the senior enlisted level, can you take care of a, a wider swath of the organization? But more about people than about operations. More about conflict between people than, you know, making the call, the judgment calls that you need on scene. Right. So that's, I, I don't know, that's kind of like our, I think we're very heavy, heavily operationally focused with everything formal geared more for people than for ops. Right. And I, and I think that that might be one of the areas where the Navy is missing the mark is that a lot of it in the past, I, I haven't, I always kind of disclaim my statements now because the new ELD stuff, I haven't gotten to experience it. I'm trying to get in to be a facilitator so that I can see the course. I'm about to, all my juniors are signed up for it, but haven't done it yet. So it's hard for me to say how that curriculum is focused. But in the past, I can tell you, until I got to the Senior Enlisted Academy, everything was focused on like management tactics to make sure the mission got done. And it wasn't people focused at all. And I think the Navy's focus is shifting to that with the spike in suicides and mental health awareness and all this stuff is it's all over the place all the time, which is amazing. And I think that's kind of a, an overcorrection for like, hey, we really just need to be people centered. Um, and I I think that that's kind of the stuff that I talk about on this thing for the for the majority of it is like exactly what you said. Like it's about taking care of the people. People take care of the mission. So it's like my job isn't to like develop my management skills to the point that I can do calculate everything on a spreadsheet and outlook calendar to make sure that every single thing is thought of in the mission gets done, even though that it's a part of my job, but that's just a mechanism with which I help take care of my people. Like I make sure they have all the things that they need. I make sure that all the barriers are removed so that they can take care of the mission. And then outside of that, like, like you were saying, if they're not good outside of the unit, then they're not going to be focused on what needs to get done in it. So it's like, I need to make sure that financial stuff's good and their home life's good. And like, what, what can I do to help you get everything done that you need done so that you're focused on getting the mission done? And then what can I do to help develop you in that area? And I think that that's, and that's usually, that's usually like the problem at work anyway, right? Like usually when you have this performer that, that all of a sudden like takes a spike, uh, downturn, right. There's something going on, right? I mean, that's not, people don't just change their attitude all of a sudden. I think the only people that I've ever had that are, consistent you know troublemakers or just those that failed to conform to military life at right. the lowest level right because some people just aren't cut out for it they make it through boot camp but yeah it just doesn't work but i'd say when you get to the especially e4 and up level i mean you're looking at guys that have you know they've conformed already there's something mm-hmm. else going on yeah i totally right. agree with you for sure yeah and that's i was just talking about that in the podcast we put out yesterday i was, I was talking to this first class that was having issues with a sailor that it's like very intelligent kid uh, is able to get the job done very well, but there's just like wild mood swings and like shows up like not prepared or late or all like needs a haircut, didn't shave, like uniforms all jacked up. And it's like, like what's going on there? Like there's something going on there. Cause like this kid's not showing up to work with the burning desire to suck. Like it's not, people (laughs) don't do that. There's some other reason that this kid is struggling. And it's like, you take the time to figure that out. 
And like part of what the story she relates, she likes to likes to talk about uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like her favorite thing to talk about. And so she's like, and which is amazing. It's awesome. I, I I have it in my head a lot. I just don't use the words. But um, she found out when she st- first started drilling down to figure out what was really going on with this kid, instead of just yelling at him for not conforming, was he hadn't eaten in a week. Like he didn't have, for some reason, didn't have access to food. I I didn't get the whole exact story on how that happened, but it happened. And I think it was right as he was checking in. Um, and so she was like, oh, my God, and like took him to the commissary, took him to the galley, got him fed and he squared that piece away. And then yeah, man, have, some- you, have you ever dealt with like people <laughs> that haven't eaten? Like there's some guys that if you don't hit like the regular meal time, right, if it's even mm-hmm. delayed a second, I mean, it's oh, it's yeah. on. It's game yeah. on. First, that's what yeah. I do for a living, man. I'm a culinary. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so right. Like, yeah. So yes, you know, I, I've dealt with grown men that degenerate into kicking, <laughs> screaming babies when we're five minutes late because we were doing running casualty drills and I didn't have electrical power. My bad. Right. Like, it's, <laughs> so I can only imagine like and I get angry if I, you know, I don't get to eat all day. So I can only imagine what it was like for this kid. Um, So you fix that and then you move on to the next like set of needs. And it was like, it's almost like, and this is, this is what kills me because it goes to your point of almost always when I have issues like that, like you were talking about after they've conformed, they've been in for a while and there's either sharp downturn or they just never get over the hump of, of developing to where they should almost always. It has to do with, like their feeling of belonging and their feeling of contributing to the the greater good and the success of the team and the organization. It's like they're not getting to do that. So that need to belong, or that feeling of being a part of the group, which is the vast majority of people's reason for joining the military, whether they openly admit that or not. Like, oh, yeah, I just want to go to college. Yeah, sure. You did. That's why you stayed in for 15 years. Like there's right. a there is another need that you have and everybody has it, regardless if if that's why they joined the military to belong to the group and to contribute to the team. And it's like if that need isn't being met in any way and, and when they take that downturn that you were talking about, they start to get ostracized from the group because the group's trying to exercise some form of group accountability it like starts turning into this vicious cycle of kids getting ostracized. So he doesn't feel part of the group. So he starts acting out. So he does the things that the group doesn't like. And the group starts trying to punish him for it to get him back in line. And it just, it doesn't work. And so there's gotta be something that breaks that at some point. It's just like that type of people centeredness stuff is like, you got to stop. You got to get the group to stop eating. It's eating. It's young. And like, get this kid to feel like he belongs and then he's going to, Oh, okay. Now I'm not getting treated like crap anymore. So that removes that piece. And then it's like, how do I, how do I feed that? Like give him ownership of a small process, make him feel belonging, make him feel like he's accomplishing something, et cetera. And then you break the cycle and then the team is going to stop punishing him if he starts becoming productive. And then you're back into, you know, even if the ceiling is low for that, for that sailor or, or whoever, um, you can develop them to that ceiling and they become a, a contributing member of the team and then you don't have that problem. But yeah, so that's one of the, you know, one of the things about enlisted leaders running units in the Coast Guard, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen, uh, I've been to both. I've been to a unit that was led by an enlisted leader and units that have been led by commissioned officers. Right. And I think there is like a, there's a stark difference in the way that the two groups handle problems, uh, people problems. Yeah. From what I've seen the uh, on the enlisted side, uh, it's usually we're not trying to document right away. Right? right. I mean, the first thing is you recognize the problem and then hopefully you're one of those guys that's just comfortable with the uncomfortable. Right. Like you're willing right. to go get in someone's business and say, hey, what what is the problem? If I haven't been through it, I probably know someone that has. Right. That right. We can reach out to. Right. And from the 
you know, especially from the junior officer side, which we, I, I think, command a lot of our newer cutters, um, there's, it's pretty quick to document. And these days, documentation, when you talk about being ostracized from the group, uh, the minute that, that something's documented and it's in your record, it probably just hemmed you up from going very far in this organization these days. Yeah. Uh, because we are pretty no fault, right? Okay. And um, how does so, that process work for you guys? Because we have like start with the informal stuff that you're talking about. And then we have like local discipline kind of like admi- local administrative stuff that it'll it'll only stay with you at that unit. And then if the if the disciplinary process doesn't go beyond that, it it's effectively gone as soon as you rotate. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you can even work your way back from it before you leave the unit. But then if you get into like Article 15, it's like it's probably pretty similar. So like how do, how does your guys's administrative process work? So really, it, it's kind of funny, right? And I, I didn't learn this until later in my career. I think there's there's really two ways to do it. Uh, the official way uh, would be local documentation. So we just fill out a memo mm-hmm. and memos go nowhere. They, they have no okay. place in your permanent record. Um, beyond that, it's administrative remarks. We call them 3307s. Yeah. And that goes in the permanent headquarters level record. Okay. Uh, so that's that's always with you. So, you know, for example... On the BOSA mate side, and BOSA mates are the ones that command stations. Mm-hmm. Before you can take command, you have to go sit before a, a board. It's done in person with like eight people on the other side, all sitting officers in charge or commissioned officers who grill you for an hour or two with every question under the sun. And they have access to your whole record. Mm-hmm. So it could have been a page seven, like in my case, that you got uh, when you were two years into the service. But suddenly this becomes an issue. <laughs> you know what I mean? At year 18. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's the that's the kind of impact that stuff can have, though. Right. And people are becoming more aware of it in the Coast Guard that these documentation requirements that or these documentation pieces that are being uh, thrown at them are going to impact them in the future. Yeah. So it alienates people right away. Sure. Yeah. And that's what I was going to get to is like, I hate doing it. Like we call them counseling sheets. It's probably similar to the memo piece where it's like, it's local. You can assign extra military instruction with it. If there's a bunch of other stuff you can do with it, but it's just, it's an administrative documentation of me counseling you on your inadequate performance and what we're going to do about it effectively. But it's at the unit level, but it's like, once you start that process, it's like you kind of lose them a little bit and it's like, that's why I hate doing it. But then sometimes your hand is forced and you have to document that. And because you've done the informal piece and the, there's a trend and it just keeps happening. And it's like, at some point I have to start that process, even though I hate doing it. And it's like, yeah, I feel like as soon as the paperwork gets pulled out, I'm, I'm starting to alienate that sailor and, and burn some trust. Well, there's a delicate balance. When I first got in, there was no such thing as informal counseling. Like you got talked to by the chief, right? Nobody recorded anything. And then you, you went about your way. Yeah. Things have kind of progressed, right? Because we've, we've offered more protections to different people to where if you don't document, no one's going to hold that person accountable. Right. It does become a, a, yeah. So you have to. Right. It's very similar for us. It's like it, the first question that the CO asks is like, OK, we want to take this guy to an Article 15. We call it Captain's Mass. And it's like, what? OK, where's the documentation? Like, show me an administrative record of this trend of misconduct or any other issues that the sailors had. Unless it's something huge like a DUI that uh, it's like, OK, I mean, that just is what it is. But 
Um, if it's like a documented pattern of misconduct and now we're finally escalating it to this level, it's like, okay, where's the, where's the paper trail? And a lot of times that's where people, it's like you over, you, you went too far to the informal direction and you don't have it, or you just didn't do a good job of tracking the admin. And that's like, then the CEO is like, well, I guess you should have done a better job chief. And then it's, you have a hard time holding that well, sailor accountable. You know, I, what was it like, man, when you first got in, because in the coast guard that I joined, right. A captain's mask was street cred. Like if you had one, you had street cred. <laughs> I mean, but now yeah. if you have a captain's mask, you've just scuttled your career. It was it was similar. Yeah, everybody jokes that to make chief, the prereqs are like divorce, captain's mask, and DUI. And it's like there's a lot of truth to that though. In that in, in that, that era, era sure. Yeah, yeah, in that era. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I there's it was it was definitely different, and I think it was more recoverable. Um, I don't know that it's changed as much they, they definitely are quicker to go to it as a as a disciplinary mechanism and it it sets your career back effectively five years for us um it could be it could be worse but it just depends on what it is but it they because they've gotten more to like there was stuff you could go to a captain's match for back when i first joined that'll get you you'll get kicked out immediately if you do it now um, yeah, sure. And there was a lot sure. of stuff that went on that you just didn't go to captain's mask for that you do now, you know, like, right. Like, uh, right. so yeah, I, I think it was, it was definitely different. Um, and, I never, you know, better yeah. or worse, it doesn't really matter. Right. right. I mean, it is what it is now, <laughs> but it, you, you look at, uh, I don't know. I just feel like it's almost a different, uh, maybe every generation feels like that. Right. As you, yeah. as you get to the senior level and you start to see how things have changed, yeah. it, uh, it's definitely a different dynamic. Right. Uh, but do like you, you said, it's it's all about documentation now. I really think if yeah. you don't do it, if you don't sit down and write the memo, it, it, you know, the guy's probably going to keep doing it. Yeah. Hopefully at, not, at some, but, but there's point. definitely a chance. Yeah. yeah. At some point when it's repetitive, it's like, all right, man, like you're forcing my hand. I've talked to you how many times about this now. Now it's got to start going on paper. Do you guys do um, we call them disciplinary review boards? They're one of uh, the favorite targets of junior enlisted for just being an example of how the chief's mess fails at, at leadership and <laughs> especially affecting discipline. And they're not entirely wrong. It's been, it's something that has evolved during my time in and, but it's still, it still has a lot of the same reputation because there are places in the Navy where it's still happening the same way, but like effectively what it is for us is it's an investigatory tool, which is often treated as a mandatory, what I would call YFG speech. Um, it's just like yelling at them effectively. So like you get all the chiefs together uh, and they come in there and report and they're briefed on what they're being charged with. And then it uh, it turns into what like it should be an investigatory tool where it's run by the senior enlisted and they're and they're asking questions, trying to find out if there's other issues, trying to get answers on questions that the preliminary inquiry didn't get. And then the we forward a recommendation of the chain of command. What? a lot of times happened early on in my career and and I've seen happen. Uh, I don't think it's as prevalent as the greater junior enlisted force thinks it is, but it's just like come into a room and they just face blast you and tell you what a piece of crap you are and like make you feel small and then send you on your way. And a lot of times it happens just whenever they deem it necessary instead of part of a formal article 15 investigatory process. So like, how do you, do you guys have any function like that? And if you do, how does it work? We do. I've only heard of two of them, though, uh, it, that I've ever like, like ever happening ever. It. 
Yeah, well, that I've I've known somebody that went to right. Okay. I'm sure they happen. I've I've seen the instructions that they do happen. Um, you know exactly what you're talking about, right? A room full of chiefs, uh, senior enlisted, CMC probably, and yeah. uh, they're called the task in there. And I think it's it's got a good. The way I was I've seen it applied in the Coast Guard was really about people that just didn't take initiative, yeah. uh, didn't live up to the kind of the expectations of their position. Right. It was never any. Um, I would say like conduct that could be handled another way. It was usually okay. like a senior petty officer E6 level that's just not living up to the expectation uh, and basically call them in there and, and figure out what's going on and kind of take them to task and say, hey, this is how you're going to fix it. So it's like an intervention point for an underperforming like senior ish member, is which that- is the way I the way I've seen it used. OK, yeah. gotcha. See, I almost I like that idea better because I've had a lot of conversations with chiefs about this and a lot of them see it the same way where they see it as counterproductive, much like the junior enlisted do. But it's like it's for some reason it's still happening in in very much the same way. And so it's like, how do we do it? How do we make it better? Uh, I've had a buddy that I do the Ask the Chief episodes with that explained that at his command, they've kind of tried to repackage it and, and make it a more formal, more structured thing that it has less opportunity for it to degenerate into the, into that type of a thing where they call it a uh, conduct and conduct and standards board or standards and conduct board, something like that, um, where they just like kind of renamed it, formalized a, a process in an instruction. And it's like, this is when we do it. This is how we do it. This is the board membership. This is like a script. And and so that it's it's like they drew lines. So it's like you can't it's not just this walk in and figure it out. But I also like the idea of an informal process of like like what you explained, where it's like it's just an intervention point where it's like you see a sailor not performing. and It's just like, hey, let's let's bring him in here and talk about this and figure out what's going on. I just fear that like I say that and I can feel E6 and below eyes rolling across the Navy where it's just like (laughs) they're just that's the last thing they want to do because we have an issue with trust and it's it's an it's an image we've kind of cultivated ourselves through conduct issues and and past things that have happened where it's like some of that trust has gotten burned and it's like so they don't want to come into the mess and talk to us so it's like that's a it's like almost like an image rehab thing that needs to happen but I think there just could be a lot of value in that where it's like you're bringing them in and just trying to course correct and it's completely informal, but it's like, hey, let's dig down deep, spend some time on this sailor and like say, hey, you know, what's going on and how can we fix it? Yeah. And ours are called, uh, they're called chief petty officer councils is what they call them. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, the thing, I, I guess one of the other things about the Coast Guard is that very few of our units, I mean, you mentioned two of them, uh, Yorktown and Petaluma mm-hmm. are our two, two of our biggest bases in the country right? right most of the units in the coast guard are separated by you know miles and states right they're all these remote areas that um really probably don't even have a chief's mess the chief's probably the one that's in charge of the unit right um so a lot of issues get dealt with at the cmc level yeah um where you know somebody will reach out make a call and then the cmc calls the member directly hmm. so that that happens a lot with us interesting so how does I'm curious about like I, I've always been very curious about like small unit leadership. And I talked to um, I just got done editing the episode about so naval special warfare tech. It's like the they're like the support structure for comms and a bunch of other stuff for for all the NSW guys. And he was talking about some of it. And I talked to an EOD chief in the Navy, too, about like how a chief integrates into a small unit and how 
it's different for them, I think, than it is you guys, because like the you guys are in charge of the station where these guys are. It's still a small unit and they still have a structure above them locally where there's like department chiefs and like they had like, I think they're ops master chief and then a CMC still. So how does it work for you guys as far as like a chief's interaction and a leadership function with the types of units that you guys that you guys work in? Yeah, I'd say when the uh, you know, when they're in a command cadre role, they're just that right. Like regardless, you're a chief, senior chief, master chief, you're at that point, you're in command. So it's kind of in my experience, you're, you're treated the same way as any commanding officer. Right. Um, right. Everybody, there's just a like a certain level of, I guess, respect and, and deference that comes with that position. So uh, that's the way I've seen it. But at the same time. Maybe the I think the organizational knowledge that comes from being in for 20, 20 years or, you know, give or take however long you've been in as a chief, you've been in long enough to learn the organization. Uh, I still think that's there. Right. There's they still have access to all that that network of chiefs that they can call on to solve problems a little quicker than than maybe their commission counterparts can. Right. And I guess the difference would be the commission counterpart running a station in that role for you guys would be what, like a 0203? So 03E normally, if, it's, if it is a commission okay. officer, it's either a warrant or an 03E. Uh, oh, pretty okay. much all so the boat stations are, are going to be uh, yeah prior enlisted. Gotcha. Okay. Um, one of my one of my last questions is like, and they're kind of linked, is like, how does, how does Chief's initiation work for you guys? Because my understanding is that it it happens. I don't know what it looks like or how it parodies what like what we do in the Navy, but I've always been curious because somebody pushed back on some of the like debate type things on Reddit about like uh, about that specifically. Like we're the only idiots that do this. So and I'm like, I'm pretty sure the Coast Guard does like the exact same thing, but whatever. Uh, so can you like shed whatever light you can on that? Like how it how it kind of works and and uh, and I'll like I'll. I'll chime in if like it parodies what we do. Closed door for a reason. Does that like, I mean, does that kind of answer it? I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just, yeah. I'm curious. Like the, it, yeah. I mean the, the whole thing's vaguely, about make, like, ma- making you humble, right. Making you humble right. despite the, the position that you've achieved and then mm-hmm. introducing you to the, the network and forcing you to become a part of that network. Okay. Um, so I think that's it, getting people outside their comfort zone and, uh, you know, teaching humility and, and networking really is is kind of what I get out of it. Yeah. And how does it like the actual conduct of it happen? Because one of the biggest gripes that we get is like you'll see on a Navy base or in a unit, uh, all the selectees get announced and then they've got little black backpacks and name tags on and they disappear from the work center. And like the biggest gripe is that like. What do we even need this for if we can run the Navy six weeks out of the year without a chief? Because that's the in their mind, that's effectively what happens is to go get the training done. Sometimes units sacrifice the mission to focus completely on the chief season stuff. And it's like, I don't it doesn't always happen that way. I think the majority of units have a, a healthy ish balance, but there's definitely ones that it gets a little out of hand and then all of a sudden they don't have access to their chief or the LPO or whoever they just lost to chief select. And then they kind of disappear. So it's like, how does, how does that get worked into you guys's like operational schedule? Yeah. So, I mean, you know what I see it as, as a, uh, it's kind of a development opportunity for everyone a little bit, right? Yeah. So with the chief gone, 
they they still have awareness of what's going on. Even the selectee, right? They they have awareness of what's going on back at the office or, or the station, right? Um, you know, the junior guys step up and the senior guys fill the gap. That's that's kind of the way that that I've always seen it ran. Um, I don't think we necessarily have that that same outlook on it. Where hey, yeah. if the chief isn't here, how are we still running the Coast Guard? I think uh, right, the Coast Guard's going to run even if the E four is the only guy left, right? Like that's just the way right. we work. Um, well, and it's like sarcasm. It's like they're, no, they're attacking yeah. the organization. No, I yeah. Yeah. I don't think, um, I, I just don't see, I don't see that being as big an issue for us, but it sounds exactly the same. Like you talked about the the backpacks and everything okay. and, and the absence. So I think that's, that's spot on with what we do. Uh, okay. But I think a lot of people, you know, understand the value of it too, uh, right. especially the senior guys. So they're the ones that kind of fill that gap. And then empower even more junior people to step up and and also help fill the gap. Right. So I think this answer to the second part is probably no then. But is is there any kind of like angst or or issue taken by junior members of the Coast Guard with not just that piece of it, but like kind of we I think what what the issue with us is, is we have like a cultural issue where we've allowed a bunch of stuff to pervade the culture of the chief's mess. That's not really focused on the things that it should be right. We're spending more time doing other things that, that, that time and bandwidth should probably be focused on taking care of people. Um, do you guys have any issues in that kind of in that lane where junior coast guardsmen are, are like taking issue with that? Cause I mean, we've gotten to the point where there's been super public, like, op-eds and stuff that's gotten around social media where junior sailors are speaking out and like, Hey, this is broken and you need to fix it. Ah, man, that's a great question. So, I mean, obviously, you know, things are never, they're always going to be rosier or greener pastures on the other side. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we probably most enlisted people in the coast Guard probably have a common enemy. Uh, I won't yeah. say who it is or what it is, but uh, <laughs> I, I think there's and the chiefs are part of the fight to to kind of work through that that uh, that barrier to to effectiveness and to, to what we want to achieve as an organization. Um, that's just a part of the process. We, we we've gotten a lot of bureaucracy that that uh, kind of came down and it's hard to navigate through that on occasion. So I. You know, it's probably there. I mean, I'm sure junior enlisted guys, just like you and I, when we were coming up, saw chiefs that were awesome, saw chiefs that were terrible. Um, I know that the network is alive. I know that it's alive and well, uh, and I've seen a lot of guys use it. And one of the, you know, one of the most embarrassing things, right, is like you go in to introduce yourself during uh, initiation and somebody's like, well, I never went through it. And, you know, I mean, it's just kind of, it almost embarrasses does, the selectee even. How does that work? So ours is like, actually... Was it optional? Ours is optional. Well, ours was for a long time, but you very, very rarely had anybody opt out. Like there was people that would quit. Um, I'm not going to say like back. This was more... It was way more prevalent back when uh, there was more shenanigans than there was training. <laughs> but like <laughs> uh, there... There's definitely it, I haven't heard of it often. I heard I, I actually got to experience. Uh, I mean, we call them retreads where this kid quit the year he went through, but he got pinned because he got advanced to E7. And it was like he was kind of like he was he was ostracized. He wasn't allowed to do any of the chief things. And then next year he opted to go through again and quit again. And then the year that I experienced him, it was year three. 
and he was going through and he, he got through and, and it was like, I got in this really weird place where I was like, he didn't get through because why in my mind, he didn't get through because we failed as leaders to develop this guy and get him to the place he needed to be. And so, and we had this conversation at the end where it was like, do we even have the right to not accept someone? <laughs> because like, if they've gotten to that point and they're not ready, how much of that do we got to own for not getting them ready? And it's like not effectively training and educating. So it's like, it's this weird, real weird conflict in my head about like how, how to reconcile that. And then like when this kid got, I mean, good dude. And he wanted to be there. And I don't know if a lot changed over those two years and he just needed that time to mature. And maybe he made it too early. Um, but at the same time, it's like, it, it is the structure kind of like, does it need updating? I don't know. Like, and it's kind of like this weird conflict in my head. No, I feel you. I, I think I got the, the thing is, man, if any, if any chief calls me right, initiated or not, um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to respond, right? I mean, that's sure. just the way, that's the way that we work. That's what makes chiefs effective. Um, so I think they're really doing themselves a disservice, right? Versus even the organization by like, it, it's kind of like conform, right? Kind of like those, those new E3s that come in and have trouble conforming, um, you got to make an effort to do it. And if it takes three times, it takes three times, but you got to at least right. try. And I think right. that's uh, that's kind of what it boils down to. Yeah. I guess the bigger issue that I had with it was how he was ostracized. Cause like you're saying, like if, if they call you, it's not like something you're going to, Hey, let me see your card. Like, it's like, nah, man, I'm going to help you because that's what we do. But it, in his, within the skin of his organization, it was like, they were treating this kid like, he wasn't part of it. And it was like, come on, man. All all you're hurting is is chiefs when you do that. Like all you're hurting is the image of the mess where it's like a bunch of little kids running a clubhouse and like you didn't say the password right. So you're not allowed. And it's just like, I get it. I get what you're trying to accomplish, but there's ways to do that. And it's I guarantee every E6 and below in that organization knew that he wasn't part of the club. You know what I mean? And that that's going to hurt our ability to lead if we're perceived as like petty and i think that would be the difference like with us it wouldn't be mm -hmm. it it would never be something that was publicized right like if if uh if you weren't invited to the meeting it wouldn't be communicated to everyone that you weren't invited to the meeting it would be invited, you know just communicated to you and you actually you'd probably come to the meeting and then when we got to the part where you couldn't be there because you're not initiated you'd be asked to leave right Uh, but no you know no one would know that except for for those in the mess yeah Interesting. Save rounds alibis. Think of anything else? Yeah, man. I just uh you know that last question's like killing me. I you know, I hope I hope, <laughs> right, that nobody uh yeah. nobody's you know completely disenfranchised by the Chiefs mess because I hope they all realize like that's what that's what we're here for, right? We were all in their position once too. So I hope yeah. at least that everybody out there has got the best interests of, of the enlisted yeah. person, you know, and the, and the officers, the entire organization, right? That's what the way I right. look at it is chiefs are organization people. I mean, we dedicated our lives to this, to service, right? By this point, right. like my biggest thing is this organization will not fail because of me. Right. Right. And I think most people are, are kind of like that. So yeah, just a, a tough yeah. question. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds like that's maybe more part of 
like Coast Guard culture than it is for us too, where it's like you guys have it built in that it's not going to fail because of me. And I think that I don't know. I mean, like I always kind of felt it a little bit coming up that there was some kind of a, a trust issue. And then it was like once I got into the mess, I felt it a little more. And then, I mean, I've been a chief since 2011 and it's like I've it's gotten to the point now where it's at like fever pitch. And is it is it because a, a small minority of really loud people are saying it a lot or is it is it real? And and my experience is like my platform isn't that big. And it's like I get a ton of people reaching out with the types of stories that make me think that it's there's something to it. And it, it's a lot of other people like high level command mass chiefs, fleet mass chief that I talk to like it's they see it too. And so it's like it's not just me recognizing it either. So I, I think it for us, there's definitely some kind of a, a fundamental issue at the at the mess level that we need to figure out. But I mean, I can tell you, like one of the things that blew my mind was Reddit, man. I don't know if you ever spent any time on there, but I'm sure there's a Coast Guard sub and it's uh just go in there and it's basically a message board, which I thought was hilarious that that's still a real thing. <laughs> but because I, I was like, there's not a way that it's this simple, but it really is. And it's like you go in there. Most everybody's got a screen name, so it's anonymous. So sometimes it's it can get a little ridiculous. But I've, I've been pretty impressed with the Navy subreddit as far as like there's only been a couple of people that have been trolls. And it's like everybody else is willing to have a pretty healthy, honest dialogue with me. But they're also brutally honest because there's not really a fear of reprisal or like me figuring out who they are. Like, I know it happens sometimes, but I don't got time for that. I'm not going after anybody. Like, I just really want to know what's going on and get honest feedback, especially on the podcast. And so it's like um, a lot of the interviews I've done lately have been people that I've linked up with on Reddit. And it's really, really intelligent, high functioning sailors that just want to make the Navy better, that have that exact attitude you just described. Um, and it's it's super interesting. And so, I mean, if you want to if you want to pull the veil back a little bit, man, I'm telling you, go get on that. I'm sure there's a Coast Guard. Hey, you know what's funny? The, the only Coast Guard one I've seen, it was uh, it was our uh, OS's our operations specialist. Um, I did yeah. see it on there. But yeah, I'll go I'll go check it out for sure. I, yeah, I'm kind of like, I don't I hope I don't find what you found. But sure, I'll I, go look at that. Yeah. And again, you might just get a really it, you have to like frame the question the right way, I think, to and then have the conversations. But it's like. If you ask for, if you ask, if you guys suck, you're going to get told you suck. You know what I mean? Oh, but it's always. Like if yeah, you can, for sure. Yeah. If you, if yeah. you can, uh, if you can frame it in a way that just gets a healthy dialogue going, it's like, I think that everyone that like everyone that I've done, it's kind of like they have some kind of angst with the chief's mess, but it's almost always really well thought out. And then when you have the conversation, it's like a, it's like, I don't hate chiefs. It's just. I'm starting to lose a little bit of faith and these are the reasons why. And these are the things that I don't understand. And the cool thing is sometimes I get to explain those things and give them a little more understanding and perspective because one of the kind of positions I've taken on, on everything, including initiation is like, there's a lot of stuff, not all of it. There's, there are definitely some significant events that happen that need to be private for particular reasons because you can get intimate moments and it's like that, that stuff just needs to be private to be effective. But there are definitely a bunch of stu- things that we do that I think could be public. And if they were public and junior sailors got to see them, you pull the veil back a little bit where the stuff that they're getting frustrated by where we just vanish and they don't understand why. If they get to see some of that, then it it 
takes the the uncertainty out of it, right? Where they don't get to sit there and like invent their own narrative because they know exactly what happened because <laughs> oh, man, we let them see invent, it. They invent narratives. Oh, too, it's they? like That's the good. worst so possible yeah. scenario. And yeah. And then in there's stuff that I think if they saw up close would get them really excited about being a chief, which is a problem that we have. There was a really public uh, social media post that got shared by a command mass chief that uh, it was, he did, we call them career development boards. They do it upon check into a unit. This guy was on a ship and a sailor told him, I like, why don't you want, like he said, he didn't want to be a chief. CMC said, why? He said, I've never met a chief that I want to emulate. And it like stopped, he like blew his mind and he wrote it on his dry erase board, said he's not taking it down until he like fixes that perception or something. And like, yeah, I think it, Paul Kingsbury and I were talking about that one day about, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah about, it was about that yep, very thing. He talks about that all the time. His name is Bill Houlihan. He's an awesome dude. And uh, it was something that it was like, holy crap, you know, and it's like it. I think if we allowed them to see certain things, you would you would see it and be like, oh, I get it now. And oh, like, I'm excited about that. I want to do that. And are, like they, we did, are they talking about like just the initiation? Is that kind of is that what it's? That's what it's boiling down not to. Not just no, not no. just. It's it's the whole chiefs mess organization and and how we do business and how they like all the negative interactions they have and how we're not equipped and we create an artificial separation by wearing different uniforms and have our own space and uh, they think that a lot of uh, misconduct is is like swept under the rug and and yeah. a lot of the yeah a lot of the the issues I feel like are perception based because there is a division and there is some secrecy to some things. And it's like, it begs the question, like, is it all necessary? Like, cause there's definitely stuff that needs to remain private for it to be effective. But then there's also a whole bunch of stuff that really doesn't need to be that I feel like could be structured in a way that if, if junior enlisted were allowed to, to, I don't know, like view it or not like artificially, like put some bleachers in front of it, but just, it was just done out in the open. If if some sailors at the next and he sees that happening, he's like, oh, that's really cool. Like we did our charge book ceremony where our commanding officer signed our book and we did it in ranks standing on the turtle back of a submarine on a base. It's like a monument thing out in front of everybody. And there was like 150 selects there all lined up in front of the, the COs were sitting up on top one at a time waiting. You'd go present your book. He signs it, talks to you. And, the, and it's like there was crowds gathering to like watch what was happening. And it was asking questions and there's all these chiefs surrounding it that are answering those questions. This is what's happening. And like, this is what it means. And it was really cool because like it was out in the open. Everybody could see it. There were pictures. There was just all the stuff that happened that it was just like, this is really cool. And like, I can't, I can imagine me as an E4 wandering up on that scene and just being like, oh my God, that's really cool. Like, and wanting to like learn more and being a little more interested. Yeah, I got so. you. I like that. Yeah, that's, uh, I, do, I think ours operates a little bit differently. Than what you just yeah, said. and I, yeah, I'll be I interested you. to talk to you offline about a little more in detail because I'm just curious how it works and how it's different. But yeah, man, I, I I don't know. I I think our issue is unique, and I think we kind of shot ourselves in our foot as far as like how we ended up here. And, and me and Paul talked about that. I did a podcast with him a few, like a, I think it was a few months ago, um, where we talked about a lot of that stuff. And and I think we got ourselves here because he made chief back in like the 90s. And he's like, it wasn't like this. And I'm not just he's not being that old crusty guy that's just like back in my day. But like right. you see that a lot, too, when 
like chief misconduct stuff happens or or all these other things. And like you got to filter out the noise, too. But like if you go look at like a comment thread on a Navy Times article where some CMC got fired, you're going to see 70 percent of it is a bunch of old retired chiefs saying like back in my day. And it's like, OK, well, if there's that many people saying it and then yeah, I, I talked to truth. Fleet Ma- yeah, I talked to a fleet mass chief that made it in the 90s that's still very engaged in the happenings and goings on and and training and leadership stuff that's happening. It's like I think there might be something to this. So, yeah, man, I'm interested to continue to drill down and figure that out. But and I'm interested to see what you find on like the subreddit, too. <laughs> yeah, man, I see, me too now. Right. <laughs> see if it shines a little light on some stuff. If it wasn't for the memory on this this podcast thing, I would uh, I'd be searching it right now. But. Yeah, 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 man. Well, we we can wrap it up so this thing doesn't cool. boot us off again because I think we've we've attacked all the things, man. I I really appreciate you doing it and taking the time. No, hey, uh, awesome show, man. Awesome uh, cause that you're you're pushing forward. Um, Semper Paratus. Yeah. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I did. It was a really fun conversation with a chief from another service. Uh, get some insight on what they do and how they do it, and how some of those lessons can be applied to to what we do uh, in the Navy. And uh, I, I really enjoy getting to have any all these conversations, but especially talking to other services about how they do what they do better, um, what they do that is like in our an idea in our head that would be better. But in having practically applied it in real life, maybe maybe it's not. Maybe there's a better way to do it. Uh, I, I love kind of going through those types of thought exercises. Uh, and it was a great talk. I should be showing up on their podcast at some point as well. Uh, but check them out. They had to go out podcast. It's very interesting, really cool. See stories, uh, about some really daring and incredible things that they do in the coast guard. Uh, it's, I enjoy it every time I listen to it. They're, they're a little short, uh, in comparison to mine, they're about 20, 30 minutes. Sometimes, sometimes a little longer, but they're good, solid, like stories. They jump right into it. And, uh, I really enjoy listening to them. So check those guys out. Also, uh, as always, if you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't give up the shit podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the shit podcast, or you can DM me on Instagram or Reddit at DGuts Podcast or just DGuts Podcast on Reddit. We also have a sub there if you want to jump in and have some conversations with us. As well, if you could like, share, subscribe, review, do all the things, help get the word out. It's always uh, helpful when you guys do that to, to help get the word out to anybody else that could potentially need the platform for whatever. And then uh, lastly, if you want to support us, dgustpodcast.com slash shop. You can pick up some cool stuff. It helps us keep the lights on and we would appreciate it. And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. 